to discuss differing views concerning the age of the earth. That is our point this evening. Both views presented tonight agree on two things, in the inerrancy of the Bible and that God is the creator of all. The views disagree on these, age of the universe and the earth, and how some passages in the Bible are to be interpreted. This panel discussion will focus on theological issues rather than the evidence from the created order. Uh, first, I'd like to present uh, what is going to be uh, Team B this evening. The reason is, is Team B is the first one on my list. Uh, Dr. John Battle is with us. He is uh, currently the president of Western Reform Seminary in Tacoma, professor of New Testament and theology at the Western Reformed Seminary since 1998. Along with him on uh, the uh, Team B is uh, uh, Mark Rambo. Team A is represented by Dr. Phil Fernandez, who is president of the Institute of Biblical Defense. He's a pastor in Bremerton of Trinity Bible Fellowship, and he teaches Bible and philosophy at Kings West High School. And with him is Rick Randall. The format this evening is that Team A will make a 20-minute presentation then Team B will have a 10-minute rebuttal. And then Team B will make a 20-minute presentation. Then Team A will have a 10-minute rebuttal. Then we'll come back for up to 45 minutes of questions and answers in this way. Team B will respond first to your questions, and they will have five minutes. And then we'll go to Team A. They will respond to your questions for five minutes. We'll go back and forth. And I'm Mark Pearson, pastor of Christ Moral Church, and delighted to be the host site for this panel discussion this evening. All right, now we begin with Team A presentation for 20 minutes. There's one eyewitness of the creation. God said to Job in Job 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And he provided us with an eyewitness account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is from the New International Version. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separate the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, 
And there was morning, the fourth day. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I'm sorry, I, I erred there. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Genesis 7, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark flo floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains on the, under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Now, Phil. I'd like to uh, get started by, by saying that I'm really grateful to be here speaking in, in Paulsville. As you know, I'm... Uh, based out of Bremerton, so this is kind of uh, like being on world tour for us at the Institute. And uh, I think the last time I spoke in Polsbo, uh, they paid me, I think, $200 to uh, stop talking. So um, so it is a, pr a privilege to uh, to be here. And I'd like to make uh, my first point, and it's this. This is uh, a dialogue between brothers. I'm a, a member of the Evangelical Philosophical Society, 
and a member of the Evangelical Theological Society. And uh, most of my colleagues are, are old earthers, and they love the Lord, and many of them probably love the Lord more more uh, than I do, and that's to my shame. But um, um, but this is not an issue of salvation, so nobody's salvation is being questioned here. So hopefully tonight we'll have some good disagreement, some good dialogue, but we'll speak the truth in love, and um, that hopefully this will be a bridge building evening. Um, rather than uh, you know a declaration uh, of war, and I met Dr. Battle. I already know Mark and uh, good people, and and so hopefully uh, the spirit of love will be here, and it will spread throughout the church, and we'll all get warm fuzzies. Um, my uh, my second point is that God, after He com- completed His creation, He called it very good. In Genesis chapter one, verse uh, thirty-one, uh, you Ross acts as if, uh, well, that's okay, there could be billions upon billions of fossils of dead animals when God creates man, and God still says it's very good. Well, that's, maybe that's okay for, for Dr. Ross. I met him, godly guy, neat guy, but I have to disagree. Um, and, and, and the church for the first 1,800 years, thinkers throughout the centuries have disagreed uh, with Dr. Ross on that. And it wasn't until... Uh, uh, modern science began to talk about an old earth um, that all of a sudden uh, many theologians began to change their interpretation of the scriptures. But God called his creation very good. Um, if old earth creation is, is true, then there already existed billions of fossils of dead animals. See, old earth creationism would be extremely wasteful. Old earth creationism does great damage to the traditional response to the, the problem of evil and suffering. Uh, traditionally, St. Augustine, many other thinkers, Thomas Aquinas, uh, even now uh, Norman Geisler, who himself is an old earther, and I don't understand how he can do this, but um, uh, the philosophical response has been that death and suffering, not only among humans, but even in the animal kingdom, can be traced back to the fall of mankind. God created a perfect world without suffering, and without death, and that's why God called it very good. Now, the Christian church agreed with me for 1,800 years, then science started changing, and uh, Christian thinkers began to back off of that. But I think very good means uh, there was not death till after the fall, uh, and even in the animal kingdom. Point number three, very similar point, the fall led to a cursed creation with animal and human suffering and death. This is in Genesis chapter 3, Romans chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Uh, Point number four, the order of uh, God's creation work in Genesis 1, old earthers reverse the order on each one of these points. These are the biblical points. Uh, The Bible teaches the earth was created before the sun and the stars. So the old earthers do some maneuvering in the Hebrew and... Um, I, I don't think they do justice to the Hebrew there. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so maybe I'm stepping a little out of my field here. Um, but if, if, if Genesis 1 doesn't mean what it says, then why don't Hebrew scholars translate it differently? Uh, but the, you have the earth being created before the sun and the stars. Old earthers reverse that order. You have light being created before the sun. And I can show you um, early church fathers and church fathers throughout the centuries saying that God created light before he created the sun. And it's a newer view that that tries to explain that away. Uh, The Bible teaches that the land vegetation existed before the sun. 
that order is also uh, changed by old earth creationists. Uh, you have, according to Genesis 1, birds before reptiles. That order is changed by old earth creationists. You have no meat eaters. Every, every animal, all animals and humans are uh, vegetarians before the fall, according to uh, Genesis 1, 29 and 30. So no meat eaters before the fall. Old earth creationists acknowledge that if this is an old earth, um, you have carnivores uh, for you know millions of years before mankind walked the earth. And then the Bible says that there's no thorns before the fall of mankind. And um, uh, again, the old earth has reversed that point. So I don't. I think it does damage to the, to the text. I don't believe you know science is very tentative, and I don't think we should change our interpretation of the scriptures um, just because a, a group of scientists uh, argue a, diff, a different uh, position. Point number five, uh, consistent old earthers uh, deny the global flood. And this is a very important point. I wanted to bring this point up uh, tonight. Uh, uh, some people thought maybe I'd be getting off the subject, but I see it as part of the same subject here. If we give up the young creation, we're going to have to give up the global flood as well. Either the fossil record, either most of the fossil record was caused by the history of life on the planet Earth, old earth creationism or it was caused by a global catastrophe the flood you can't have it both ways you can't have a global flood that left absolutely no evidence okay so uh and i i think genesis 6 through 9 uh rick read a portion of that passage uh genesis 6 through 9 describe a global flood a continual downfall of 40 days and 40 nights worth of water water coming from beneath the earth the word uh, Mabul uh, is used only of Noah's flood. No, no other flood carries that name. You have the enormous size of the ark. Why would such a huge vessel be built? No vessel was built bigger than the ark until like the late 1800s. Why such a huge ark when God could have just told Noah, don't waste your time building an ark. You got plenty of time, just head for the hills. And if you, Ross, and the local flood theory is correct, uh, they would not have had to travel too far to get out of the way. And, um, and eventually get to higher ground and maybe even over those mountains. Uh, but the Bible says every human and every land animal died. Now there's some old earthers like uh, the late Bernard Ram who believe that not all humans were on the ark and not all animals were on the ark. It's very rare for old earthers to hold that. Hugh Ross believes all the humans that, that survived were on the ark, but um, he denies that all the animals were on the ark, that there were animals that, that survived the flood in faraway lands like Australia and places like that. The Bible teaches every human and every land animal uh, died, that, did, that those that were not on the ark. It says the ark rested on a mountaintop. The waters covered all the mountains. A local flood, you cannot have all the mountains of that region covered. The only way to have all the mountains of that region covered would be a global flood. You would basically have to cover the entire earth. Um, Noah's family could not leave the ark for over a year and then God promised to never again flood the entire earth. So what you have described here is a global flood. Point number six, the historical view of the church. This is just a, a chart. You could see the, uh, the size of Mount Ararat in this region of the world. And uh, you're looking at, if my math is correct, over three miles high. So it's quite a bit higher so, than Rainier. Yeah. Uh, you know, to say, well, it's just figurative language when it says all the mountaintops of the earth were covered with water. 
up to a distance of 15 cubits, which is approximately 22 feet, to say that that's just figurative language, it, it boggles my imagination, number one. And number two, it makes me wonder if it would cover any mountains in, in that region uh, if it didn't cover these. Now, if it covers those, we're talking a global flood, period. But until 1800 A.D., the church believed in a young earth which was under 6,000 years of the history. Hugh Ross quotes from a lot of these thinkers, but he fails to tell us that they all were dating the world under 6,000 years except origin. I think he dated it somewhere less than 10,000 years. So even the few people from the Alexandrian school who were into the allegorical method of scriptural interpretation looking for hidden meanings, even they, they didn't take the days literally, but they believed that God created instantaneously, not over a period of periods of, of billions of years. But the early church, the reformers, if uh, Rick and I are wrong, Martin Luther was wrong. If Rick and I are, are wrong, John Calvin was wrong. I, I'm not too sure that they would have changed their views because of modern science. I think they would have stuck with the text. It's only when so the scientific consensus began to promote an old earth uh, did many Christian thinkers begin to reinterpret Genesis 1 to 11. And my final point, point number seven, uh, God's word is the final authority, not scientific consensus. And all four of us agree on that. But I really want to stress that scientific knowledge is tentative. Uh, lots of my buddies, you know, J.P. Moreland, William Lane Craig, uh, brilliant Christian philosophers that are older creationists. I have a lot. They have a lot of influence on my life, their writings, their thinking. and uh, But I just cannot get past Genesis chapters 1 through 11 and say, yeah, I can see an old earth there. I just do not see it. But scientific knowledge is tentative. It's hit, it's hit and miss. God's word is inerrant. So my question is, why did it take the church 1,800 years to find out what Genesis 1 really meant? And do we really need to rely upon non-believing scientists to help us figure out what Genesis 1 really meant? And uh, my closing point is this. If God wanted to tell us about a literal six-day creation and a global flood, could he have been any clearer than he was in Genesis chapters 1 through 11? Thank you, and God bless you. I'd just like to uh, mention a few things about what was said. Uh, first of all, regarding the church fathers and the history of church and how we understand the Bible. I believe the church fathers are, are very valuable in the study of the Bible and, and church history. They tell us what people thought at different ages, and they really hashed out a lot of doctrines over the years. But you can't always depend on the church fathers all the time. Uh, a very common belief, and I don't know one that was really contradicted by the early fathers, was that the whole world would last 7,000 years from the time of its creation till the second coming of Christ. They assumed that it would be 1,000 years after Christ, and then the Christ would come, and there'd be the millennium, and then there'd be 7,000 years total. And uh, as you know, Christ didn't come in the year 1,000, and uh, the millennium didn't end in the year 2,000. You really can't depend on them all the time for their interpretations of the Bible. Now, they also taught that when you're baptized, your sins are forgiven. And uh, that was a pretty universal belief very early in the in the church fathers. And so, although the church fathers may assert something, that doesn't mean necessarily that it's biblically accurate. Uh, we know that God reveals his, his word in the Bible. 
but we understand the Bible, I think, better and better with study through the years. As far as uh, the doctrine of creation and the time of creation is concerned, I agree with uh, Dr. Fernandez that, by and large, the Church Fathers believe that the earth was created recently. It would be very hard to dispute that. However, um, I believe that the change among Church and Biblical scholars over the years started sooner than 1800. You'll find a number of, of Christian scholars prior to 1800 who also believe the earth was older. Um, Martin Luther was mentioned uh, as holding the view held by the, the recent creationists. Uh, Martin Luther also uh, held the view that the earth uh, was flat and uh, for a long time disputed the fact that people on the other side of the earth, he thought, would fall off. So um, when the Copernican Revolution came, the Protestants, as well as the Catholics, resisted it for quite some time. They felt that the Bible teaches that the earth is the center of the universe and that the earth does not move. And to prove that point, they looked at Psalm 104, which is a psalm about the creation, and it says there that the earth's foundations stand firm. They are not moved. And they took their stand on that verse, and there are other verses that are sort of similar to that, and they said Copernicus must be wrong. He's against the Bible because the earth doesn't move, and Copernicus says the earth moves around the sun. And uh, as you know, another 100 years or so, the Christians were kind of embarrassed, and they changed their views as the evidence piled up that the earth does go around the sun. And uh, Galileo helped that a lot. And then Newton explained the laws of uh, gravitation, which explained the motion of the planets. And, and then Christians recognized that they were interpreting the Bible incorrectly. The Bible does not demand that the earth does not move. It's a, it's a verse that's taken from a perspective of the writer. That the, from the writer's perspective, it doesn't move. It's firm under his feet, but it doesn't mean it doesn't move in the solar system. So I think we can come to a better understandings of the Bible through the years as we learn more and more about God's creation. Any response? I guess we're still working on the, on the flood. I don't know how much time I've taken already. Three minutes I've taken? Seven more. Okay. Okay, what's well up there? But uh, we were talking about a a uh, perfect creation. The Bible doesn't say when God created the world it was perfect. It does say it was very good. And when it says very good, it means that it's ideally suited for the purpose for which God intended. We believe that the new heavens and the new earth will be better than the Garden of Eden. Uh, better in a number of ways. It will be better physical laws will be different, uh, there will be no death or decay or corruption of any kind. Uh, the, the famous second law of thermodynamics that everything is running down, that's what our universe is based on in terms of physical laws. And that, uh, I believe, is what Paul refers to in Romans 8 when he talks about the, the universe being created or the world being created in, uh, in futility. In other words, it's, it's futile, it's waiting for the resurrection of the body. The, adoption of the children of the sons of God. And so we believe that the new heavens and the new earth will be perfect. There'll be no death then. But uh, God can say something is very good, and it still involves the death of animals. And we see that elsewhere in Scripture. Again, let me refer you to Psalm 104, where it says that the lions go forth to seek their prey from God. And God gives them this as a part of his goodness toward his creation. And uh, while I know I, I hate to see animals eat each other, uh, I remember once watching a, 
National Geographic special where the uh, African wild dogs were were attacking a zebra, and that poor zebra was just being taken down by these dogs, and I just cried, you know, it was the worst thing that could ever happen. But uh, that's a part of the creation that God has made. And uh, sometimes we we um, become, I don't know what the word is, sentimental, uh, to the point where we love animals to the point where we, we desire them to live forever, and that's not the way God intended. Okay, we are? Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit rude and turn around because I don't have the papers for this, but I hope you can hear me okay. Uh, Romans 5 talks about death coming into the world. And this is a verse that's a, very, a passage, a very important passage about how sin and death came to us. And they came through Adam's sin. But we notice in this passage that sin entered the world through one man and death came to all men. It doesn't say death came to giraffes or, or fish. Uh, but to men, death came to all men because all sin. And as you go down the passage, you'll see that those to whom death came were also given then the privilege of receiving life through Christ. Um, the words I've underlined there indicate this. Death reigned through one man, but now righteousness shall reign in life. Uh, through the result of one trespass, condemnation for all men came. Uh, at the last verse there, uh, Sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness. And the grace reigns not to animals, but to humans. We're the ones that receive the righteousness of God and his life. So the next slide, please. So there are some observations on that passage. We notice that sin entered the world when Adam sinned, it said. But actually, if you're thinking of the physical world, sin entered the world before Adam sinned. Satan sinned before Adam did. And Satan came into the world before Adam sinned. So sin was in the world, in the physical world, before Adam's sin. But the world that Paul is talking about is the world of human beings. And sin entered that world when Adam sinned. Then we notice that Adam brought death to humans, not to animals. It says death came to all men, all sin. Condemnation for all men. And we notice that the same people that died are the ones that Christ redeems. Subjects of death are also candidates for righteousness and life. And that's said many times in that passage. So we believe that passage refers to humans and not to animals. In the next slide, please. <clears throat> the other parallel passage he mentioned was 1 Corinthians 15. In that passage, we see the same, the same idea. Death came through a man, and the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So the death and the resurrection are both talking about humans. As an atom will die, so in Christ we'll all be made alive. Uh, we, I don't think most uh, uh, young earth creationists believe that animals will be resurrected. I know some people believe that. I know I have a friend who thinks his dog will be in heaven. And uh, that's a nice thought, but uh, <laughs> I don't think, you know, that's orthodox Christian teaching. Uh, but people will be raised from the dead. So when it talks about people dying, it, or death, it's talking about people, it's not about animals. And we notice that the same people that die will all be made alive in Christ, and there's three groups. Christ, the first fruits, then those who are his, that's the believers, and then everybody else. That's what Paul calls here the end. And that's when death is destroyed. So death is destroyed, not when all the animals are raised up, but when all the humans are raised up. Some to life, to be with Christ, and some to be condemned. So one other slide, I think, on this one. 
So uh, just to summarize that passage, the same ones who die are the ones who are raised up again. And then all die. All are made alive. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15.22. And then we have the three categories. So I believe that animals are not referred to in this passage. As we start going on this, in the back we have resource table. And on that uh, we made some CDs. It's actually much cheaper for us to put documents and CDs and to print a lot of paper. So those are free. Take them. You're welcome to have them. Please do. Uh, in that, uh, there's typically the typical uh, papers that this subject brings up, things like uh, death before the fall, as we talked about, uh, genealogies, uh, the flood. There's also an interesting paper, I thought, uh, because I've read more recently, is on the, the history of modern young earth creationists. And uh, I actually took this from a book called The Creationist, and this was actually endorsed by uh, Henry M. Uh, Morris, who started Institute for Creation, uh, Creation Research. And on this he said, for those interested in the background of modern revival of creationism, whether evolutionists or creationists, this book is a rich mine of information and historical insights. And what I find very fascinating is that actually older creationists predate uh, younger creationists. Uh, and actually, uh, younger creationists actually started from uh, um, Ellen, uh, Ellen White, who started the uh, Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, she had these claimed that various visions of of going back to the creation event, seeing the flood, and also being transported to Jupiter and witnessing uh, a race of humans that had never been infected by, the, by sin. So that's a little bit interesting, you might uh, find it interesting, but it also is linked to various Christian leaders, their view on the age of the earth, uh, also old earth website, young earth website, and also uh, I think it's very interesting to check out the one on testimony of former young earth creationist. There's a bigger one, uh, I forgot his name, but he actually used to write papers for ICR. And then he, he was a physicist, and he took a job with the oil industry, he had to work with geology, and uh, the evidence he saw changed his mind totally. Uh, anyway, we have gen a general apologetic website, and Phil, I have a link to Phil's site, he has some good stuff on there, so I recommend you see his site also. And then the Christian geologist website. Let's go to the next slide. We're actually feeding you stuff like a fire hose. You get a lot of information, there's not gonna be a lot of time to uh, take this in. You have to do a lot of studying on your own. Um, and I wanna point out that, uh, you know, the Bereans were considered very noble, but he took the time to study the scriptures to see what, see what Paul said, whether they were really true or not. And I have a, a link on there, it's on the, on the disc too. You can go to a lexicon, you can compare some of the Hebrew words that can be very important. Let's go on to the next one. I think one thing to keep really in mind here is that oftentimes we talk about what's in literal, what's a literal day. Well, we gotta look at what did Moses mean when he said a day. Uh, he has the first right over what is actually being said there. He's the one who stood in the council of God and the Holy Spirit gave him uh, the words to say. And one thing also to understand is the Hebrew uh, language at the time, I think it was limited to what, about 300,000 uh, words, while modern English language has somewhere over, over a million. Um, the word um, yom or day, um, in Genesis 1 and 2, the person uses light, just for light, and then it's used for a 24-hour period, which actually isn't defined until day four, so it's really not a, a definition of what a, 20, a day is, a 24-hour day is till day four. And then you have a 12-hour day, then all the days of creation are also summed up in one day. And I, if you look, if you take that lexicon and look through what Yom, Yom's used for many days, like a, like a harvest season, for uh, the day of the Lord in many cases. So I really encourage you to look at where Yom's used to go to the next slide. And I won't go through a lot of these, but oftentimes generous creation will claim 
that if you have that phrase, you know, evening and morning, you have to have a 24-hour day. Well, here's just one example, and I find it interesting because of all of – this is the only verse out of Genesis 1 where you have the exact order, and that's at least 3,000 years. That's the vision where Daniel saw the lamb, which represented Alexander the Great, you know, the Greeks, and go on up to past modern times. Going to the next one, there's also an instance where they often use – if yom is used with an ordinal or a number, it has to be a 24-hour period. And this is just a couple of examples. I'll let you look at them later. And going on to the next slide, and actually John's going to cover this, so I'll turn it over to him at this particular point in time. He'll cover that one later. Oh, okay. So I'll just go to the next slide then, please. All right. Boy, that was fast. I took a class in speed reading once, and that's about what I had to do. I started at 300 words a minute, and when I was done, I read at 300 words a minute. Okay. I would like to just sort of survey. A lot of people are interested in – well, if you believe in the day-age view, what order did things happen in? And Dr. Fernandez mentioned that there's, in the minds of many, a reversal of the order that you find in Genesis. So I'd just like to sort of clarify that, at least as far as I would believe and as far as I know many day-age proponents would hold to. First of all, let me just mention these four assumptions. Is that where we are? Okay. The next slide, please. Okay. The first assumption would be – and that's been generally recognized. As a matter of fact, the handout sheet that was given points out some of these verses – is that the word day can be longer than 24 hours in the Bible. That's generally agreed upon. The question is, what does it mean in this particular context? Does it mean a longer period, or does it mean just 24 hours? If it means a longer period, is that longer period of time limited in some way? The sheet indicates maybe 1,000 years would be a maximum. I believe we need to say that's rather an arbitrary way to determine the length of this period of time. The word yom could mean a period of time that has a definite beginning and a definite end. It's not the same as olam, which is an age. An age goes on until God changes it. You can't have like – the Bible never uses a number with that word. It doesn't ever say there will be six olams. But day is a common word to use for a limited, but it could be a longer period of time. How long? I don't think the Bible tells us that. That's an area where science can be helpful to determine how long ago things happened, if those things can be determined. The second assumption is that progressive creation – that is to say that God created all the animals and plants progressively over periods of time. That is, each species was created by God. We do not believe in biological evolution from one species to another, one kind to another in the book of Genesis. Rather, each kind reproduces itself. So sometimes people confuse our view with that of the evolutionists, which we do not hold to. But God can start creating animals on a certain day and then continue creating those animals, we believe, up until the creation of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were the final creation. Nothing was created after them. After that, God rested from his creating work. I quote here Psalm 104 because the psalmist says that – and this is a creation psalm – that God took away – takes away the breath of animals, and then they die, and then he creates new ones. And it's interesting, it uses that word bara, he creates new ones in that psalm. And that's what we believe about the history of the world, that God created a series of kinds of animals and plants through history, preparing the earth for 
uh, other higher forms of animals and for human beings. And so we come on the scene, we believe, late in the Earth's history, at this point in time, and the Earth has been prepared for us patiently over a long period of time by God through His providence. And we are able to uh, take advantage of an atmosphere, of soil, of uh, fossil fuels and other things that enable our society to exist, our civilization to exist, and to spread the gospel all over the world very quickly, which would have been impossible without that preparation. Another assumption is that Genesis 1 through 2, uh, those chapters do not, do not list everything that was created. Uh, bacteria are not mentioned. Uh, I believe insects are not mentioned. Uh, there are many kinds of, of animals or plants that do not necessarily have to be named in Genesis 1. We believe that Genesis 1 names those animals that are especially of interest to human beings and that were known to the humans uh, as they wrote of them. And then the final assumption is that the perspective changes from verse 1 to verse 2. In verse 1 it says God created the heavens and the earth. But then the perspective changes to the surface of the earth in verse 2. And so we believe that the creation is described in chapters uh, two, uh, chapter 1 starting at verse 2 from the perspective of someone on the surface of the waters as it's described there in verse 2. With those things in mind you can go through the, this account and and uh, sketch out an outline of God's creation that is in agreement with what uh, recent science has demonstrated. Uh, and that's, of course, another subject as far as the scientific evidence. But uh, let me just quickly go through that with you in these next few slides. We notice, first of all, Genesis 1-1, God created something entirely new. That term is used only three times in the book, in the uh, account here. The heavens and the earth, that's everything, everything that exists, our universe as we know it. Space, time, energy, and matter. God created them all at the beginning. Uh, scientists didn't used to think that. They used to think that the universe was eternal. It's always been here. But now, just in the last century, they've come to realize that the universe had a beginning. That time had a beginning. And how do we account for that beginning? It must be something or someone outside of our universe. Something transcends our universe. Something that's great enough to produce this universe. We believe someone intelligent enough to design it and give it that fine-tuning that it has to have for us to live in this universe. So we believe the galaxies, stars, and planets were created before the Earth, and that the Earth came in its proper time later. And uh, um, when it says God created the heavens and the Earth, that's what we mean by the, and that's what, how the Bible would express the galaxies and the stars and so forth. The question might be then, well, let me mention the Big Bang. I have to mention the Big Bang. I always thought the Big Bang was like somebody throwing a, a grenade into a crowded store, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, the picture of the Big Bang, is, as it's been popularly called, is the beginning of space and time, matter and energy, from a very tiny space beginning of, of great, immense density. And the Bible says God has stretched out the heavens. And that term stretched out is used many times in the Old Testament. And that's what's going on. The heavens are expanding even today. And um, uh, this can be dated by various means, independent means, at about 14 billion years ago starting. And it's a wonderful subject and it's a whole other whole debate. But um, <clears throat> it's a beautiful thing. It's, a, it's, not, it's not a crazy, uh, random, chaotic blast. But it's a beautiful, finely tuned event that God started when he started the universe. 
Then our perspective changes. Next slide. To the Genesis 1-2, the earth was unformed, unfilled, the surface was covered with water, darkness and water. We would date this about 4 billion years ago at this point. Then the next slide, darkness. Why was there darkness if the sun was already burning? Well, we believe that the answer is given to us in the scripture. In Job 38, verses 8 and 9, God says in that creation passage, Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. It's our opinion that the earth was dark because it was wrapped in thick, dark clouds by the process of planet formation, surrounded by huge clouds of dust and gas which would block out all light from the sun, moon, and stars. <clears throat> the earth was covered with the waters. Next slide. The Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. We believe this is when God started creating life, the first life on earth goes way back. The early uh, one-celled animals of the waters, as soon as possible, there they are. They're found. And the evolutionists can't understand how life could occur so suddenly in the history of the world. But we know that God created it right away. <clears throat> These early forms of life helped clear the atmosphere and uh, changed various uh, elements so that, they, so that other higher forms of life could later on live in these places. Light came to the earth then. Genesis 1 verse 2, God said, let there be light. We believe at that point the atmosphere was sufficiently cleared so that light could reach the surface of the earth. Algae need light to produce, uh, to live and to produce oxygen. And uh, that still is today one of the main sources of oxygen for the world. The atmosphere was still thick. You couldn't see the sun. You couldn't see the moon or the stars, but you could see light. Just like it's been here in Washington for the last two months. <coughs> Day one. <clears throat> he said, this is the first, day one. This is day one. Now, uh, some people will say, well, day one was just the clearing of the atmosphere. I think that's Dr. Ross's opinion. I believe day one includes all of this up to this point. Uh, my reasoning for that is that uh, it says in Exodus that in six days God made the heavens and the earth and all those things in it. So I think the six days include uh, the initial creation. But that's a matter of uh, uh, dispute among day agers. So even day agers don't agree among ourselves. You probably noticed that. <clears throat> then we move on. Day two. The atmospheric expanse for the water cycle. It says that uh, God created the firmament between the waters, a stretching out of the, of the atmosphere to start the water cycle on the earth. That means we had liquid water on the earth. Liquid water, ice, and water vapor are the three forms that water is found in. And earth has all three forms of water. I don't know of any other place in the universe that does. And uh, it may be there are some, but it's extremely rare, extremely rare, and very difficult to have a planet that has a steady supply of all three states of water. But we need that to have life, higher life on this earth. You can have bacteria, but you can't have human beings unless you have the type of water cycle and the temperature variations that we have in the world. Day three, <clears throat> we see on that day the appearance of land and vegetation on the land. I'm glad that Brother Rick read these passages to us. And uh, it is a majestic, wonderful presentation of God's power as he brought all these various forms of life to the earth. We notice that this was not a special creation, but rather a work of providence. It says that the waters were gathered together so the dry land would appear. And of course, we understand a modern term for this would be plate tectonics, where the continents move. It's wonderful that God made the continents. Anybody in favor of the continents? 
Okay. Uh, we know the continents are moving around, and they can even study where the continents used to be by, by the uh, magnetic direction of the magnetic north pole in iron ore that has solidified in those continents. And it points north here, then earlier rocks points north over there, and they can see how the continents have moved over time. Then ve vegetation. God created the vegetation in, in uh, kinds, each one growing in its own kind. Seeds, fruit, uh, we would understand that to refer to uh, spores as well as uh, what we call seeds, any kind of uh, vegetative reproduction. Uh, insects. I used to think that the DH3 would not work because of the insects. If insects are created on the on the uh, sixth day and fruit trees are created on the third day, then how could you have millions of years with no insects and fruit trees? That, to me, that was a real problem until I realized that the word for insects is not found in Genesis 1. It's rather the word for small uh, mammals running around the ground. And uh, what we like rats and mice and bulls and things like that. And if that's the case, insects are not mentioned in this, in this book, I mean, in this uh, chapter. And this would be the normal place then where they would have been created on the, on the third day when land vegetation came to the world. Fourth day, we see the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. And... Uh, and as was said by, by Dr. Fernandez, we believe they had already been created, but now they can be seen because the atmosphere is still clearing, and now at last you can see them from the surface of the earth, see them distinctly. First you would see the sun, and then you would see the moon, and then finally you would see the stars. And that's the order in which they're found in the book of Genesis. And this is necessary for the next higher orders of life that would come, the birds and uh, the mammals. <coughs> The fifth day, God created animals in the water and in the air. We get, again would believe, as do, uh, uh, our, as do does everyone here at the table, that God created these species uh, in, uh, separately by his own power. They didn't evolve from each other. The sixth day, then it's finally the creation of land animals and man. And the land animals that are named, we believe, do not include all land animals, but rather those animals associated with human beings. And they're divided into the specialized land animals, the next slide, they're divided into these three categories, livestock, wild animals, and small mammals. And uh, uh, in our view, insects are not included in the account. They would have already been created. The dinosaurs that, that uh, the fossil record indicates were earlier, uh, we believe, are not mentioned in this account either, uh, unless there were some that may have survived, uh, which might have been included under the category of the wild beasts. Thank you, Dr. Battle. I, I first want to just really affirm what Mark Rambo said in Acts 17.11. This is a wonderful scripture. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's such a good example. I really agree with you, Mark. Uh, that is, that's really key. You know, you can trust this totally. Guys who teach about it, you can trust with reservations. As close as they stay to this, you can trust. So I just, that's not rebuttal, that's just, amen! That's good! And then, just one other thing I was going to say is, Yom, the statement that it was used because Hebrew is limited in vocabulary, if we go to Genesis 24, verse 60, we see a reference. This, there are other references in Scripture that talk about really large numbers. 
But in Genesis 24:60, because it's pretty close to the creation account, is also penned by Moses. Then the servant told Isaac, oh, let's see, I'm going to get on the right verse here. Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands, and your offspring possess the gate of their enemies. Okay, I'm reading in the NIV. <laughs> More literal translation, New American Standard says, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. So we've got a multiplication there, thousands times ten thousands, you've got ten million there. So it is quite possible in Hebrew to express the term millions of years using the language that they had at that time. So? Yeah, I'd like, just like to make a few points. Let me follow up on that. Uh, hear me out on this. If God did not intend for us to take the word day, yom, literally in Genesis 1, then why did he qualify it with the words evening and morning? It seems to me he would just be confusing us. Uh, as Mark mentioned, there are other words that could have been used to uh, clearly get the point across. Uh, John uh, Sarfati, in, in his work, uh, Refuting Compromise, uh, he lists 11 different Hebrew words for long ages that would be far less ambiguous uh, than, than Yom if God indeed meant uh, ages. There, there were other options that God had in the Hebrew better options I would say and I don't think he could do better than God so I don't think he was trying to tell us about these long ages uh, it was stated that sin and death in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 it only mentions man and that's true in those, in those passages that is true however if you look if you were to look at uh, Isaiah 11 6 through 9 and Isaiah 65 verse 25 we find that the in the restoration when uh, Romans 8 is fulfilled and the creation is restored and the curse is removed, the lion lays down with the lamb, and all of a sudden you have animals returning to a vegetarian lifestyle. I do think that if we do justice to the text, we see that God's creation was very good and there was no death, not even in the animal kingdom. Dr. Battle made a very good point. The church fathers are valuable, but you can't always uh, depend upon them. That's true. However, my whole point is it's rather strange that when scientists changed their views, all of a sudden the church began changing its interpretation of Scripture. Let me quote from Davis A. Young. He, he's a, an old earther who eventually, because the order of creation, he went from the old earth camp to theistic evolution. Most old earthers obviously do not do that. But he says this uh, in one of his works, It cannot be denied in spite of frequent interpretations of Genesis 1 that departed from the rigidly literal, that the almost universal view of the Christian world until the 18th century was that the earth was only a few thousand years old. Not until the development of modern scientific investigation of the earth itself would this view be called into question within the church. So the, the view of the church began to change as the view of science changed. Basically, Dr. Battle conceded my point that Throughout most of the history of the church, the in common interpretation was that of a young earth, and only in recent times did we begin to move towards the old earth position, and that coincided with scientists moving in that direction. So I think you have... Sure. Also, when you talk about young earth, it's in relation to another concept that talks about billions of years. 
anything at 6,000 years old to 10,000 years old is pretty old when you think about how old the pyramids are. <laughs> We're not talking about an Earth that's a few hundred years old. The question I have for uh, my two colleagues on the older side of the issue, uh, were there carnivores before the fall? Because old earth creationism says yes, we have fossils of animals with the bones and you know other animals in their stomachs. I mean, uh, old earthers acknowledge there were carnivores before the fall, but that's not what Genesis 1, 29 and 30 tell us. It tells us that God gave vegetation, plants to both animals and man. Mark pointed out that old earth creationism predates young earth creationism. By that I think he means the modern movement, but old earth creationism predates young earth creationism only if you ignore the first 1800 years of church history. And I don't think we should ignore that. Henry Morris was mentioned. I, I love Henry Morris, God bless him, but uh, there are some newer, younger, young earth creation scientists like Kurt Wise, who got a PhD at Harvard studying under the world-renowned paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould. Russell Humphreys, another brilliant scholar. There are some other young earth creationists. I'm not going to defend everything that Henry Morris has said. Dr. Battle said the sun and the moon appeared on day four. That's not what the text says. The text says God made the sun and the moon and the stars on day four. Genesis 1 doesn't say it appeared, yet the Hebrew word for appear does appear in the text earlier in verse 9 when the dry land appeared. So if it appeared, why didn't God just tell us it appeared? Instead, he says that he made the sun, the moon, and the stars. So modern scientists don't like that. That's, that's fine. I, you know, I want to try to lead them to Jesus. If I can lead a modern scientist to Jesus and he, and he stays an old earth creationist or maybe even a theistic evolutionist, I just want to lead him to Jesus. Once he gets Jesus, then we can sit down and talk a little bit more. I think there's just one other thing I want to mention here. And it's just, uh, how many people are happy to see Seahawks are going to the Super Bowl? <laughs> okay, I'm a Raider fan. You can yell at me later. But, but, uh, but I de- decided for Seattle fans to develop an argument for young earth creationism from the Seattle Seahawks. Now, he- hear me out on this. If old earth creationism is true, if these guys are correct, okay, then it took billions of years for your Seahawks to make the Super Bowl, okay? If we're correct, it only took them 6,000 years to make it. <laughs> For the sake of supporting your hometown team, please embrace Young Earth Creationism. Thank you. Very good. Well, let's, first of all, we'll do it again. Let's give them a hand. Would you do that? This is great. This is wonderful. Thank you. Good. And uh, would you tell us uh, what products are on the tables in the back? Uh, would you do that? Yeah, I mean, I talked, I talked a little bit prior to that, and all that stuff back there is free for the taking. And there are CDs with different uh, papers talking about some of the key subjects of, of animal death before the fall, the flood, those sort of things. And also links to Young Earth and Old Earth creationist websites. Um, so anyway. Yeah, um... I just have uh, three of my books uh, that I've authored, uh, No Other Gods, A Defense of Biblical Christianity, The God Who Sits Enthroned, Evidence for God's Existence, and God, Government, The Road to Tyranny, A Christian View of Government and Morality. And uh, we're just asking $5 for each book. If you want to just leave a donation less than that, that's fine, too. If you don't have money on you, just just take the book. We don't uh, keep track or anything. Same price applies to the other the books on the other table, and all the pamphlets and magazines are free. And uh, how, how does the uh, short, young age explain all those layers of uh, 
sediment? Yeah, um, basically I'm not a scientist, so I'm probably not going to give uh, much more than a layman's response uh, to that. I'm more of a philosopher and a theologian. I would believe that the Grand Canyon is probably caused by the global flood. There's no evidence that you have this huge waterway that would have caused that, other than uh, unless you assume the global flood. And uh, I think what occurred at Mount St. Helens, where layers were deposited rapidly, shows that you can get that type of thing rather rapidly with a catastrophe, rather than having to take millions of years. There's a passage in Psalm 104 that talks about the mountains being raised up and the valleys sinking down. And you know, at this point, we're kind of getting into speculation. The Bible doesn't say what happened to form the Grand Canyon, but you see billions of dead things buried in rock layers. And those rock layers are laid down by water, and they're all over the earth. There's a song about that. My, I won't sing it because my wife might hit me. <laughs> when I look at those those layers, it makes a lot. And actually, when you look at some of the fossils in those layers, one of the books on the back there has got a picture of a fossil. It's a fish that's in the middle of the process of swallowing another fish, and it was fossilized, <laughs> which makes it, in some cases at least, the fossilization process look more like a car accident than. <laughs> That's some kind of long process. Thank you. Okay, uh, well, that's a good example of, of you know, the natural world showing evidence of long uh, time. And one thing that's, uh, you know, you can say is that God created the universe, created the natural world. He also wrote the Bible. And the two will not ever contradict each other. You have to in- interpret both of them properly. Just at one, as, as at one time, Martin Luther, a great scholar, great theologian, gave us so much actually believe that the sun that the sun rotated around the earth rather than the, than the other way around. Uh, and again, if you look at the evidence from the Grand Canyon, it shows a long process of, of participation, I mean, of particulation of, you know, small uh, items being, you know, forming down over a long period of time. Even within that, oftentimes young earth creationists will claim it's a result of a flood. But in between those layers, there's evidence of like a fossilized uh, tunneling of animals. There's even animal footprints between the various layers, which speak of actual animals alive all during that process. So it's not, it uh, speaks very strongly against um, uh, this being a, uh, an artifact of the flood. Matter of fact, a lot of things that uh, young earth creatures will have problems with is, for instance, uh, um, coral reefs. Uh, if you go back, and I forgot the name of the coral reef, I don't have it, but it speaks of, I mean, they actually have rings in them, much like a, a years in a, in a tree, and they go back to over hundreds of thousands of years old. There's also uh, speaking of uh, Mount St. Helens, well, young earth creatures will oftentimes say, well, look at those layerings. That proves the layering can be down, put down real fast. But that's volcanic layering, and it's very clear. Geologists go back. They can identify volcanic, volcanic layering very, very uh, obviously. In fact, there's an area close to uh, Yellowstone National Park where there's actually petrified wood under stumps where the uh, roots actually buried down into the sediment layer where young earth creation will say, well, all that sediment was created by the flood. Yeah, here you have petrified uh, tree uh, branches going down into the layer within the, the layers. And also, uh, the, the, those trees, there's actually like 50 layers of evidence of volcanic action, destroying forests, laying down layer after layer of volcanic activity over the years. Um, anything else you want to add? Well, uh, like, like Brother Fernandez, I'm not a geologist. My dad studied geology, and he was convinced that the Grand Canyon showed uh, evidences of great age. I think one thing, if I can recall, was that you have several layers sometimes that will be tilted up and that uh, it's very difficult in a soft sediment, if this is all within a one-year period, to have that stiffness where it will do that. It would just sort of melt together. And then you have other layers on top of that that are horizontal. 
So that shows that uh, it couldn't have been done in one year. It would be many years. I think I remember his saying something about that. But I think we're to be studying theology in the Bible. So Brother Fernandez and I will be much more comfortable if we kind of discuss those things. <laughs> Another question. I'm very curious about dinosaurs and how they fit into the plan, the behemoth and the leviathan from Job and Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay, uh, that's a good one. They always talk about the, the elephant's tail doesn't look like a mighty oak swinging back and forth. And uh, that's true. It doesn't. The, the identity of these animals in the old Earth view would be pe- animals that were living on the Earth the same time that humans were. In the, the young Earth creationist view, that could include you know, great dinosaurs, which could be described by these animals. Most scholars I've seen of the old Earth persuasion believe that those animals refer to, they mentioned the hippopotamus, the, the, croc- the great Nile River crocodile, it's a huge animal, uh, that could be the leviathan. Some have suggested the elephant. Um, the, tail, the word for tail could also be used for trunk of an animal, it's an appendage, and in which case the trunk would be you know, a mighty swinging forceful thing. Uh, but scholars are, are not at all unified in, in their opinions exactly what those animals would be. Our view is that the, the dinosaurs were created long before humans, and most of them died out uh, because of the uh, Chix- Chixilube uh, uh, meteorite that came down in about 65 million years ago into, in, uh, off the coast of Mexico, and that the remains are still there, and it can be dated. Uh, and the the uh, darkening of the atmosphere and so on apparently wiped out most species of, of large animals at that time. Uh, some some dinosaurs survived in the form of large reptiles. Yeah, I'd just like to say a few things. Uh, number one, th- th- there is some evidence that dinosaurs did coexist with man. Paintings of dinosaurs on cave walls where the quote-unquote cavemen didn't have a good evolutionary uh, education. There are accounts of dragons in credible sources. I mean, you can find even some of the church fathers writing about St. George slaying a dragon to protect people in a, in a city. There's, there's still, we still get reports from tribal peoples in, in Africa and in the, in the Congo of something that looked like what we used to call the brontosaurus. I think it's the apatosaurus now is what they call it. But whatever the case, there's plenty, there's plenty of room for dinosaurs on the ark, especially if they were taken while, while younger. But it's interesting that the uh, evolutionists, and no, there's no evolutionists here, but evolutionists argue that they're there were no global catastrophes. Everything occurred at this constant rate and all. But now they go to a meteorite shower, a global catastrophe to explain how the dinosaurs were wiped out. Yet, that's a global catastrophe. So if you can have one, why can't you have the global flood? If you can have the global flood, the evolutionary old age dating goes out the window. Behemoth does swing his tail like a cedar. Elephants don't. Rhinos don't. Hippopotamuses don't. Or hippopotami, whatever you call them. Leviathan freaks people out when he raises himself up. Crocodiles don't intimidate me when they raise up. They intimidate me just staying low. So uh, so I, I think you're talking about some type of uh, dinosaur-type creatures. The passage that was referred to in the beginning here is, Behold now behemoth, which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Let his maker bring near his sword. Surely the mountains bring him food, and all the beasts of the field play there. Under the lotus plants he lies down. In the covert of the reeds and the marsh, the lotus plants cover him with shade. The willows of the brook surround him. If the river rages, he is not alarmed. 
He is confident, though the Jordan rushes to his mouth. Can anyone capture him when he's on watch with barbs? Can anyone pierce his nose? I'm not sure how to ask this question. I guess the bottom line is, um, why uh, are you denying all of this scientific uh, evidence? Um, I, I love scientific evidence, and I find that it's strengthened my faith tremendously. Uh, not long ago, uh, maybe 50 years ago, faith was based a lot on superstition. Uh, people would see, had no understanding of natural phenomena. Science has proved that uh, uh, everything acts according to its physical nature in accordance with laws of physics. Uh, science has done an awful lot to strengthen my faith. I really embrace it. Um, and I don't. <laughs> Are you saying uh, that dinosaurs existed on this earth within the last 10,000 years? I guess that's the question too. And why, are you de why would you deny scientific evidence? Did you see the news item about the, the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex bone? Where was that dug up? Was that Montana or was that South Dakota? This happened in the last year. It was found by some paleontologists, and it got dropped as it was being transported. And there was a small amount of material in there that was not bone. Now, you can read about this in the journal Nature. This was in the press quite a bit about six months ago. Maybe you saw it. They found what looked like red blood cells in there. And no, no, they can't be red blood cells. There's no way. 60 million years old, they're not going to last that long. Well, they took them in for analysis and did quite a very thorough job of looking at them and found, yeah, that's hemoglobin in there. I love science, too. I went to Colorado State, and I learned a lot about chemistry and physics and engineering. There's a kind of science that if you put electrodes in water, a little bit of salt in there, run a DC current through it, you get hydrogen on one side, oxygen on the other side. You get twice as much hydrogen on this side as you do oxygen on this side. And from that we get H2O. That's how we know that water is made up of hydrogen and oxygen. That's observational, operational science. You can repeat it. You make a hypothesis, you do an experiment, and you reach a conclusion. Now, when you're talking about extrapolating back into the past, you're talking about a little different kind of proof. Now we're talking more about what the kind of people do that work in a law office. When they come into a trial, they come into a trial and they're trying to use evidence and they use a matter of reasoning that is, you could say it's scientific, but it's a different kind. You're trying to prove something that happened in the past beyond a reasonable doubt. You can't prove that the same way that you can prove hydrogen and oxygen make up water. You can do that experiment in Japan next week. It'll come out the same as it did in Norway last month. Yeah, just a couple of things. We're not trying to deny scientific evidence. We just disagree with you on what is actually evidence. It's open to interpretation. For instance, the same people who give, gave us the old earth also give us evolution. But we reject evolution. They would, they would say you're denying scientific evidence. Why don't you just accept the scientific evidence of evolution? So... We just because we disagree with them a little bit more than the old earthers do doesn't mean we're anti-intellectual or anti-scientific. Also about the dinosaurs, I'm not claiming I saw dinosaurs, tribal peoples are. If people want to say science has proven it false so you didn't see what you thought you saw because you're an uneducated person, that's, that's somebody else's business. That's, that's not mine. We've got some eyewitness testimony of people who have seen some weird things. I think this world's a little bit bigger than we think and scientists don't know as much as they claim to know.
Um, just a few remarks on the, on the answer to this question. I appreciate the question. It's a, sort of a basic question. As far as uh, the cave drawings, I have not seen, perhaps you have one that I haven't seen, uh, cave drawings of dinosaurs. I've seen cave drawings of mastodons, um, but not of, really of dinosaurs. But I'd like to see, you know, see what you're talking about there. As far as the T-Rex bone is concerned, uh, yes, they did find this, uh, but it wasn't actually the blood cells, it was the remains of cells, um, and they were preserved in a very airtight situation inside that very thick bone for, for that time. And uh, they're going to try to cut up some other bones to see if they can find other bones that have the same thing. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily prove that they lived in the last 6,000 years. Um, as far as embracing science, now we understand that science is is testable. That is, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you should be able to come to the same scientific conclusions if you're doing science properly. I don't know of any reputable scientists that would hold that the Earth is as young as it's being claimed now, unless they also believed, you know, that the Bible required that opinion. You'll find, I believe, that most scientists, whether they be Christian or non-Christian, agree that the Earth is much older and that the universe is much older. The fact that some scientists do believe in a young Earth creation, I believe the reason for that belief is not because of the science, but it's because of their belief in the Bible, in their interpretation of the Bible. Uh, let me mention about, um, as far as observation, there is a science of astronomy, which is different kind of from the type of science that uh, Brother Rick mentioned, and that is that you actually can observe the past. With, uh, with astronomy, as you look out to see a star or a planet or a galaxy far away, you are actually not seeing it as it is now. You are seeing it as it was when the light left it. And the light left those bodies, uh, however, depending on how far away those bodies are. We speak in terms of light years. If uh, a star is 10 light years away, that means it takes 10 years for the light to reach us from that star. So we observe history. When you look at stars, you're looking at history. You're actually observing it taking place. And uh, um, so there's one area at least where we can presently observe events taking place long before 6,000 years ago. Yeah, I, I was just going to add that evidence from science is quite a testimony. I mean, as, as uh, John was saying, as I have a little bit of time, is that, uh, for instance, Robert Jaskrell, he, he is an agnostic, yet he made this statement of, that for scientists who live by faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. He often sees this with very many astronomers who look and they're awed by just how even the forces of nature, how finely tuned they are for us to have a universe, to have life that we have today. And this counters what uh, I see many young Earthers creationists will claim that you come to scientific evidence for an older based on your presuppositions, and that's why you believe that. Yet we see scientists who are claimed to be agnostics or even atheists who come to a different conclusion based on the evidence, not on the presuppositions. So you can test your beliefs. You can test. Matter of fact, God says you can even tell his character from how the universe is. So if you counter that, if you say you, it's based on your presupposition, you're actually talking about an anti-biblical statement. Thank you. Hi, this is the older camp. Um, you say that, and it says in the Bible, mammals, rodents, and such were in the last millions of years day six. How do you explain birds 
in millions of years before that, day four, they eat these things. I mean, we see it every day. What did they survive on? What? What? Do you, how do you reconcile that with millions of years? I mean, these birds would have died out. How come we get the hard questions? We have to go first. <laughs> hey, maybe if I can interpret that, did, are you asking about animal death before the fall? Is that no, basically? no. He's asking how could birds survive without small mammals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I mentioned earlier, but I was in such a rush, it probably wasn't clear, that uh, um, we believe that God started creating animals on those days, but he can continue creating them up to the time of Adam and Eve. So certain types of birds would have been created before other types of birds. Something new, something different each day is something new and different, no, right? No. Era. Era. God didn't tell us the details about that. And... Uh, Okay, is this a question or... Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I, from, from reading a lot of old earthers, there, there, there are some that believe the days overlap and, and uh, these ages overlap and stuff like that. And to, to me, it just, uh, it just boggles the imagination how they could get that from, from Genesis 1. But, uh, but whatever the case from the young earth position... You have vegetation created on day three, birds on day five, and they would have been able to eat the, the vegetation, so there's no, no problem there. If I can, I'll just make one comment about certain scientists have bring no presuppositions, no biases when they do their science. Evolutionary scientists bring biases just like Christian scientists bring biases. If you're human, you have biases. And uh, many evolutionary scientists, maybe they don't have the biases, but they were taught by people who had the biases against the global flood and creation by God. And so they just assume those things didn't happen and they reason from there. Huh. A philosophical question for you. I picked up this little booklet back here by Ken Ham. And he uh, says that the idea of millions of the earth being millions of years old uh, strikes the gospel at its foundation because it puts death, disease, thorns, and suffering before the fall. And I believe you brought that up, Dr. Fernandez. It does seem like a legitimate question. I thought the shedding of blood was kind of a presaging of Christ. And if the earth is millions of years old, then we had an awful lot of bloodshed and, and thorns and suffering uh, prior to Eden. Yeah, um, I would agree with Ken Ham that you have a more consistent Christianity if you have no death, even in the animal kingdom, before the fall. I wouldn't go so far to say it strikes at the heart of the gospel. I think that, that implies that... There's some damage being done to Christ's death on the cross. And I, I believe that every one of us in this room, every every believer, is going to have inconsistencies in their thought when we get to heaven. And it's good that the, God won't keep us out of heaven because of that. So I do see it as an inconsistency, but I wouldn't say that it goes to the heart of the gospel. A lot of my friends, and I know, I know Dr. Ross just from meeting him one time, from reading his stuff, he loves the Lord. He trusts in Jesus alone for salvation. He believes that Jesus died on the cross for his sins or salvation and no one else. And so I don't see where his old earth creationism uh, takes from salvation through Jesus alone. Um, although I would see an inconsistency there, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't use the the, the forceful uh, words that uh, that uh, Mr. Ham used. First Corinthians 13. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. 
That's just to go with what Phil said, that there's things that we all have a little mixed up. We don't have the perfect picture completely. I appreciate Dr. Fernandez's remarks. I think uh, that's an important point that uh, Mr. Ham, I think, goes way too far in his criticism there. As far as the shedding of blood, um, the Bible doesn't say that all shed blood is significant of the blood of Christ. Uh, God did ordain sacrifices to show the, the death of Christ ahead of time. And though those sacrifices had, were regulated by God and were special uh, religious actions, as far as uh, normal shedding of blood, I don't think the Bible indicates that that's figurative of the sufferings of Christ. I think that was the comment that Ken Ham made. Is that right? Something like that. Thank you. <laughs> I think, uh, for one thing, the truth is important. God has is consistent. What he shows us is, is from the Bible is true. What we see, I think we would have to say what we see in front of us is also true. Some people think that what they see is false. Uh, but that's sort of a Gnostic error that so you can't... You can't uh, believe what you see. I don't think uh, the Bible teaches that perspective. I know some people do. A lot of young people go to college from our Christian churches or go to high school and they come to the science class and the professor says, now Christians have said this or the Bible says this and then they misrepresent what the Bible says. And then they say, but we know this is true and then here's why. And then they give all the evidences and the reasons and everything. And a lot of the things that they're saying contradict the understanding that the students have of the Bible. And so the students then are forced to make a choice that they shouldn't have to make between uh, what we can observe from nature and what the Bible says. And so uh, a lot of them assume, well, they've been misled by their pastor or their parents just didn't know these things. And uh, rather than embarrass their parents, a lot of times they'll just sort of drop out of church or they'll just not want to talk about it, but sometimes they'll actively rebel against it. And so I think for the testimony of the church and for our own understanding, and God has made us with minds to inquire. When we learned, for example, when we learned how big the, the universe is, it was not until 19... We were aware that there were other galaxies beyond our own. Now we realize that our galaxy is just a tiny speck in the universe compared to the whole thing. What does this do to our concept of God's creation, of his power and majesty and might? It greatly increases that. And uh, as we... God has put our solar system in a part of the galaxy where we can observe the rest of, of the heavens. Most of the galaxy, you couldn't do that. I think God wants us to observe and learn of his creation and thereby to praise him more. I think I'll ask this also of the uh, day-agers. Um, if, if it's day-age and the, the, the term yom does not mean 24 hours, then why... Is the what does it mean then where it says the evening and the morning were the first day? I know he brought that up, but I never heard that responded to. Thank you. And it's typically uh, looked at as just a demarcation point, a beginning and the end. And matter of fact, that one statement I, I know young Earth, Earthers have made that point said that whenever you use evening and morning, it must be a 24-hour period. But a good example is Daniel 8:26, uh, and it says, and it's the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which has been told to you is true, keeps this vision secret for it pertains to many days in the future. And that's the only place outside of Genesis 1 
where you have that sequence of evening, then morning, and then uh, day. And that's referring to the vision that Daniel had where he saw the goat with one horn, referring to Alexander the Great, uh, uh, the Greeks, and it progresses through history, past even our time in the future. So we know in that particular phase it's over 3,000 years old. So you have one example of where that uh, evening and morning and day. As a matter of fact, I know there are young Earth sites out and say whenever you have evening and morning, it must be 24-hour day. But but it's really kind of unusual about that. Usually Yom is not even associated with that. It's typically dealing with the sacrifices that were talked about in uh, during, what is that, Deuteronomy and so forth, where, you know, you only, anyway. Yeah. And one, one other uh, thing, the, the sixth day has the last evening. In other words, morning and evening were the sixth day. And then the seventh day, it doesn't say there was an evening to that day. And uh, we understand that to mean that the, the seventh day, the day of God's creation rest, is continuing that uh, that day continues and Hebrews 4 I think would indicate that the way I understand Hebrews chapter 4 that uh, God's Sabbath rest God's creation rest continues he works in providence Jesus said my father works and I work but he's no longer creating that, that ceased with the creation of Adam and Eve and so the word evening is morning and evening is not used for that last day yeah where, where they mention that the evening evenings and mornings are used in Daniel 8 I think that just Furthers the case for young earth creationism because it's used in the plural there. You go back to Genesis 1 and it's, you know, evening and morning and there was one day, evening and morning a second day, evening and morning a third day. That's the well, then the, the authors of the Hebrew lexicons need to do a better job in uh, translating Genesis 1 because. Uh, if that's really what it means, if it's plural, then then why are they translating it, you know, singular? I can't. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I can't go into the Hebrew myself. Um, I wanted a little bit of clarification based on some of the things that I had heard earlier um, from Doctor Battle. Uh, when you we, you had mentioned that from the old Earth creation point of view that there was death before the fall uh, in the animal kingdom, correct? So, like the gentleman over there, I guess I have a bit of a philosophical question. Was it God's will that man should fall, and was death part of God's perfect will? Romans 8.20 talks of the creation being subjected to futility with an eye to the eventual redemption, not just of man, but of physical creation. And when did creation become corrupted, according to your view, when Adam sinned or Satan? Because I kind of got some sort of a sense that you were discussing Satan's fall as well. And when did Satan fall, before or after the creation, and what scriptures do you use to support that? And the very last part <clears throat> is, I really appreciate the comments that were made earlier where somebody had basically said, nobody really disputes the data, just the interpretation of it. And as somebody with a theological background myself, I guess I have to ask the question is, what is more important, natural revelation or special revelation? Because it appears to me, on the surface, from what I've studied so far, that the old earth creation camp tends to elevate natural revelation in its interpretation of some portions of the scriptures. So I'm just looking for clarification on those. I didn't write down your questions. I, I thought there'd just be one or two. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm glad to answer as many as I can. And, and uh, my partner had a whole section on what it means to be very good in the creation that he didn't have a chance to get to because I was too long-winded. If you look at uh, perfect paradise paradigm versus the perfect purpose paradigm, 
In the perfect paradise paradigm, it basically says the intent of God, his end goal, was eating, and that man's sin thwarted God's purpose. But, you know, the perfect purpose says that creation is a stage in which God's perfect purpose is fulfilled, that Christ's death and resurrection is the cornerstone of God's unchanging plan, primarily to glorify himself, the conquest of Satan and evil, and the redemption of his people. And it's also made known through the church to the heavenly rulers, uh, to heavenly places. And if you look through a lot of young earth creationists, I mean, I have a quote here from Van Vetter and also from um, Morris, where they all talk about basically Adam's sin thwarting God's plan. And if you look through the Bible, it always says God's plan cannot be thwarted. That he has planned from the very beginning to predestinate us as sons. Uh, let me let me just uh, read a Well, actually, I've lost it. It's in there. No, I said he has a bigger purpose than what we're aware of. That we can, as a matter of fact, there's a good quote from Job that I just love. It's in here where, uh, he, Job, where God asked him basically, uh, and it's in the quotes in there somewhere, but who is this who darkens my counsel? And, uh, counsel? And Job says uh, basically uh, nothing can thwart your purpose, that there's, there's purpose and beyond my knowledge you have greater wonder. And a lot of his, yeah, I think the big heat, actually I think the biggest heat about the younger is Pain, uh, and if I could have part of, do I? Okay, I'm sorry. Is that uh, that we look at it as how we uh, expect things to work, how we see it, and God's purpose is much bigger than that. A good example is when you look at Job himself. When you read it, who started it? It was God. He said, "Look at my servant Job. Have considered him Satan." And basically, his test and Satan said, "People only love you because you give them stuff." And God put it to the test and he used Job. Job went through a lot of suffering. In fact, Job's sons and daughters were killed as part of God's plan to prove a point. And uh, and at the end, uh, let's see. I got. I, oh, hold it, let me. I'm not done with this. Sure, but what, but this, but God, God never blamed that. I mean, if you look in the scripture, matter of fact, let me quote this. I, this is actually pretty cool. If I never understood Job when I had the old uh, perfect, it's not here. It's uh, okay. Hold it. Here it is. I got it. <laughs> Okay, if you look at uh, Job 42.11, all the trouble that the Lord had brought upon him. Satan was allowed to inflict suffering on Job so that God could be glorified and and his adversary's accusations falsified. Notice that God is also angry with Job's friends. And God says, you have not spoken of me what is right. Why? Because they said, Job, all your problems are due to your sin, due to the fall. That's why you're having all these problems. And you look at the purpose, you look at Pharaoh, look at the children of Israel. God predicted a long time ago that they would go under suffering and slavery. Why? Because he had a plan. He had a plan to take them to Egypt and to, to redeem them and also to embarrass the powers of the world, to, to embarrass the demonic forces and to show himself glory. He wanted to be known. He wanted his glory to be known. And so there's a direct par- parallel, cosmic parallel. You can see the Obrey took a 3,000 look at between the two paradigms. God does have purpose. God does have a plan to it all. We don't understand it now, but when we get on the other side, I think we'll see a lot better. We'll see, wow, that was a fantastic plan. You know, look at Revelations when, the, when you know, they're looking at the land that is slain. They say, you're worthy because you were slain. Uh, I mean, I think, that, you know, God has allowed Satan. I mean, this is the end of, of evil once and for all. God has let Satan argue his case throughout history. And here, you know, we'll look back and we'll say, why would I ever want to sin again? Look what happened. It'll be a permanent record. I mean, it looks, if you read, it talks about, um, you know, being shown to powers in, uh, in heavenly places. Anyway, I'm kind of going on with this thing. I know. Um, but, you know, you see there's a purpose. And oftentimes other people, like, 
even considered Darwin. He even had a quote I have a quote in there where, you know, I think he was actually a divinity student at one point, and his part for rejecting him going through naturalism, I think, was more affected by a theological view. He could not accept a God who allowed pain and suffering. But yet you look to the Bible, even Christ suffered. He was all part of God's plan. His children suffer momentarily, light and momentary, for greater reward. You look at Hebrews 11, you look at all these great heroes of faith. They're all looking for a, a kingdom whose foundation and, and builder was God. They look for a better purpose. So there is a purpose. There is a purpose for all this. And it's going to be made known later. But nothing thwarts God's plan. This has always been planned from the beginning. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I could respond to that, there's a, several several things were touched on, but we have a lot of agreement there that God allows evil for the purposes of a greater good. It's just we would differ on is death part of God's initial perfect creation or is death evil? And I would see death as being evil and a product of the fall. God foreknew it would happen, and so God you know, knew through all eternity how he would provide salvation for mankind and, and, and solve the problem. But we would see death as a product of the fall. They would see uh, death in the animal kingdom as part of God's initial uh, uh, good creation. The question of Satan's fall came up. When did Satan fall? Um, Ezekiel 28 is one of the classic passages where Satan is referred to as the king of Tyre. But it says of him, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, you were in Eden, the garden of God, and then later on it goes on and says that violence was found in him and he fell. So there was a time where Lucifer was in the garden, was perfect, and then he fell. I, I take a unique perspective. There's a lot of rabbinical speculation about that, but I believe when Satan led Adam and Eve astray, that was his fall. But whatever the case, that's a big, a big question. With Dr. Battle, it appears that he would credit some of the... Uh, you know, the animal death and stuff maybe might possibly be attributed to Lucifer's fall. Um, I would see that being problematic with this passage, that he was in the garden and perfect. The question was, is natural revelation as important as supernatural revelation? I would say yes, it's, it's just as important because they're both revealed by God, God's revelation in nature. And I use evidence from nature for God's existence. I've debated the issue at Princeton and... Uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill campus, and other colleges throughout the country. So I believe in natural revelation, but natural revelation is not as clear as what God spells out to us in black and white in the scriptures. So when you have a conflict between what we think God has revealed in nature and what we think God has revealed in his word, if I have to choose between the two, I'm going to side with what I believe would be the clearer teachings of God's word. But I do think we need to use natural revelation. And one other thing I want to just say is that uh, I give my, my, my King's West students all the different Christian options. I don't make them young earthers because I'm a young earther. All the different options that Christians can have. And I allow their, their pastors, their parents, their own study of the word, them to come to the conclusion so that I don't force them to be young earthers so that when they go to college they get an old earth evolutionary professor and then they lose their faith. In fact, it's a big goal of mine to prepare high school students to survive college and, and come out, out the other end with their faith strong. Well, our 45 minutes is up. We have people who have questions. I know that, but you will answer yours, and other hands will go up, and other hands will go up. It's just the nature of time, and I apologize for that. Uh, let's say another big thank you to these people who have... So this is just great. How wonderful. Thank you. Blessing.
Uh, well, I'm especially uh, delighted this evening that uh, Rick Randall and Mark Rambo are part of this congregation, and uh, they are involved, and Mark is a leader in our church, along with Janice Paulson over here, in our apologetics ministry, Reasons to Believe. And some of you from this church and some of you not from this church are also involved in that, and we want to commend you and thank you for your, for your participation in that. And uh, it's a wonderful ministry. If you'd like to know more about it, you can speak to them. And again, um, Dr. Phil, thank you so much. Dr. John, thank you so very much. God bless you. Uh, there you, though you, you remain for a few minutes, and people can meet you back there and so on. Okay, let's stand. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you again for coming. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, for offering us life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've sent into our hearts. I pray that each one of us tonight is choosing to know you, to follow you, to let you be glorified in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.